Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is serial CEO and cloud enterprise technology entrepreneur, Adam Ray. In 2017, Adam founded Astromu, a software company created to translate educational experiences into economic opportunity. With over 13 million in funding, Astromu is being used by an initial cohort of colleges and universities across the country, including the University of Kansas, University of Washington, and American University. Adam is also on the board of directors for multiple organizations, and he is a husband and a father to three boys. Welcome, Adam. Oh, thanks for having me, Hannah. It's great to be here. Good to see you. Definitely. It's crazy. I think it's been, um, it's probably been like a year, but I, I am following you closely and loving seeing all of your success. Um, I remember meeting you right at the very beginning of starting this journey. Uh -huh. Um, and a, no surprise, you're having success. Um, we're going to start our podcast. I don't know if you've heard any of the What Fuels You podcast, but I always start with rapid fire. So keep you on okay. your toes. Ready? I can, I can handle it. Shoot away. You got it? Okay. Good. What is the quality that you most admire in a CEO? Tenacity. If you could have any skill that you don't have, what would it be? Could be magic, a magic skill too, like flying or being <laughs> invisible or... I got it. Okay. Crazy. I mean, any skill that I don't have, what would it be? Um, it would probably uh, an admiration uh, for. Uh, 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 golly, well, that's a tough one. I don't want to. Think it is it. a tough one, right? That's you want to give it? You want to give it thought and come back yeah, to it? Pause on that one. I'll come back to it. I feel like I didn't. I flubbed that test. It, well, that one's hard, right? Um, what business book? do you love and most often recommend to others? And if not business, because you might not read for business, a personal book. Yeah, I read a lot of books. Uh, you know, I always have a goal to do at least 25 a year on, on different business subjects, independent of what I read for personal pleasure. Uh, and so, you know, some of the books that I've, I've found recently that are very, very valuable in the last two years are like uh, John Mackey's Conscious Capitalism. Mm. Uh, John Mackey being the founder of Whole Foods, uh, you know, spent a considerable amount of time talking about, you know, culture and mm -hmm. building, building employee. Also, uh, you know, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Oh, I've, I've never read that. I've heard that's really good. Excellent book. Excellent book. Yeah. It's all using the mission as the focal point when you start mm -hmm. a company. If you understand yeah. why, it's much easier to get through the how and the what. The yeah. What Ultimately, you know, just the tactical of how the market responds. And so anybody that's starting a company, if you can't answer that, the why, yeah. you, you, you have a longer road to go. Um, what is your favorite way to spend time with your three boys? Um, favorite way is skiing up in Whistler. I had a uh, feeling you were going to say that. I don't know why I pictured you like skiing <laughs> with your kids. Um, well, this might, this might segue then well into the next question. Beach or mountains? Yeah, mountains. 
Uh, mountains by far. The problem with the beach is, is I'm great for three days and then you can only drink so much and have you so many cigars where you're just bored out of your skull. Yeah. Uh, and I know you can scuba dive and all that stuff. There's some mountains, man. You can start the day off, go all day, ski till about, you know, one and then have a big lunch, drink a lot and then play around. Yeah. And, and then a hot uh, tub. Yeah, exactly. So I just, it's, you get that physical exercise and a lot yeah. of fun. And all my friends, I mean, we're kind of skiers. We're not hardcore skiers, but all my friends who ski a lot with their kids say it's like such nice, undivided, no technology time where you kind of have them captured and good conversation. So that's awesome. Um, what is your favorite season? Um, my favorite season, it's funny here in Seattle, it's a little different. So I was raised in the Midwest and in the Midwest, it would have been easy spring or fall. Spring mm -hmm. is lovely. It's just, it's a beautiful time of year in the Midwest. Up here, it's, it's, if you don't say summer, it's almost like you're crazy, right? Yeah, right. Uh, I, I, you're like, how about winter in Seattle? Yeah, darkness. <laughs> You'd be know. like a depressed, we'd send somebody for you. Yeah, exactly. I, overcast clouds are just what, you know, overcast yeah. clouds mean that there is actually snow on mountains. That's how I define winter. Oh, well, that's, that's a good attitude. What is, what's your biggest fear? Um, I'm like, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like, I don't know. I, it's, it's a great question. The fears itself, I mean, you know, I, it, probably the fear is, you know, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? in my personal life and my growth and to help my individuals, help the company, and specifically uh, the employees. I mean, when you, I mean, we're a small company, but I've managed, you know, I've managed multiple companies. And so you have to take the accountability to really help your, your individual employees grow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, I, so I'm always asking myself, you know, I'm fearful, like, is there more I can be doing? Is there more ways I can be helping? Right. If I, know if I can help them maximize their potential, then we get what's called a force multiplier in the company. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I'm okay. I'm coming back. If you have a skill, have you thought of one? If you haven't, we can move on. Yeah. So the skill, you know, I mean, I, I always marvel at people that have a very, very sharp mathematical mind. Mm -hmm. I've had a couple of friends who are great engineers who I would get them drunk just to see how much, how long they could do complex math problems and they can <laughs> 10 decimal points. And I'm like, you guys are just sick. But I, I love, you know, math to me is like, well, I look, I just get through a PL. I feel pretty confident there. Yeah. Well, you're ahead of me on that. I, it's definitely my weakness. So that, that makes sense. I would love to have that skill also. Okay. So tell me more about you. As you know, on this podcast, I love to dig deep with people and try to understand what makes them tick what fuels them um you said you grew up in the midwest where are you from and tell me a little bit about your childhood so i'm born and raised in kansas city um been up here for 20 years and uh kansan by nature uh went to university of kansas uh went to school been around there my whole life midwestern at the core in fact part of the reason i came to the northwest outside of tech was northwesterners mm -hmm. are and I'm, I'm going to give a classification that's actual Northwesterners versus the invasion from every other portion of the, of, of the world these days. And really, California, what am I talking about? World. <laughs> but yeah. uh, the Northwesterners reminded me a lot of Midwesterners in the sense that they're more laid back, you know, more self-deprecating, more, you know, humble. And, you know, I just that that kind of Midwest vibe is very, very important to us. And yeah. so. Uh, but yeah, I was raised around there. Uh, it's like you know, lots of things, wildlife, 
Yeah, I love that. And so um, are you, do you have siblings? Where are you in the whole birth order? Yeah, so I am an American family. Okay. Um, I have a uh, uh, half sister and three step uh, siblings. Technically, I think of it as I have two sisters and uh, two step siblings. Um, we're a real screwed up family. Uh, multiple marriages. Uh, I mean, all the crappy stuff, well, lots of drugs, uh, lots of um, lower income. We didn't come from any money. We were pretty poor. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, my luckily my, my sisters that I'm very, very close to, um, they, they both, you know, were good. They're both eight and nine years old. I'm the youngest mm -hmm. of all of them. Uh, one since passed away, committed suicide. And uh, so it's kind of, oh. kind of like a weird mix of just a few, like I said, we're, we're this cosmopolitan of like everything thrown in uh, and goofiness. But, you know, I feel blessed in the sense that, you know, even though through all those, those troubles uh, and difficulties, you know, I, I, luckily my sister, my, one of my sisters and I have often joked that we don't understand we're not just drug addicts inside the street someplace based on some of our past. Mm -hmm. But uh, usually- it's, it's interesting, I'm studying this, not, not hard, but like thinking a lot about bias and thinking mm -hmm. a lot about kind of how our upbringing informs kind of how we see the world and how we see things. And as you're talking, I'm realizing I had a bias, like in my mind, I'm picturing, if you hadn't told me any of this, I, I, you're, you're so positive and you're so articulate. And not to say that you wouldn't be those things, but where do you get that from? And at what stage did you, did you have a click of like, okay, I'm either gonna fall down this path or I have to change my mentality or did you never fall into the darkness? Well, it's it's great. So there's one benefit if you see it like if you've seen somebody when you're six or seven shooting up LSD, uh, and that's kind of a normal thing, or seeing people that do coke or heroin, um, and, you know, pick your. And I know that now they've got a whole other slew of different types of drugs. Right. Uh, but um, if you see that and you see how people are actually responding to it, you're going to have two paths. You're going to go down. One path is either you're going to you know fall into that trap mm. um, that, you know, quick hit gratification. Or if you're young enough like me being around it for so long, uh, by the time, you know, I was older, I like, I saw the negative, the massive negative. Right. You're like, I know now what not to do. Yeah. And it's like, it was like, it was the perfect anti-drug mm. uh, scenario because I'm like, look, these people have self-image issues. They often have depression issues. They're mm -hmm. hiding, they're, they're avoiding accountability for mm -hmm. whatever reasons. And everybody has their own path they have to go down, I get. Uh, but, you know, for me, it was kind of like, okay, I'm not doing any of that. So then you mm -hmm. start gravitating and looking for anyone you can find as an example. Mm. It can be a better. Yeah. So who was your example or your anchor in your childhood years? So luckily for me, um, though, though both my parents, one was kind of a hippie, and my father for kind of the first dozen years of my life or so was not really active, but I will say that he did an immensely better job by my teenage years, became more active and, and helpful and became by the time I was 16, 18. But I'd say the person early in my life was my grandfather and grandmother on my mother's side, because whereas my mom was off the reservation, the lover, but uh, uh, my grandparents were traditional, you know, he fought in the war, World War II. Oh, interesting. That's so, I was going to say, like, is this like a generational thing? It, it sounds like your mom kind of broke the 
pattern Maybe. and kind of went a different direction. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's, it's a classic, you know, the, the world that's the, the generation saved the world. Yeah. They, they're very, you know, humble, very conservative in their approach to life and everything. And they're just, you know, good quality people. And then the baby boomers who they want to spoil because they had nothing because they lived through the depression um, end up being, you know, let's just say, you know, all over the place. And uh, mm -hmm. and so my mom was one of those. Uh, yeah. Are they still alive, your parents, your birth parents? Nobody is. I'm Nobody. They just uh, my my both my parents are dead. All my grandparents are dead. Uh, oh my gosh! And did they get to live to see you? I mean, you went to college. You went on to get an MBA. You've had tremendous success. Was that was that a driver for you to like kind of be the hero child? You know, yeah, I'd love to say that it was a driver, but it's actually something more simplistic. Um, <laughs> You're like, I just wanted money. No, I'm just no, it, actually, it's 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 not even uh, that would be the most simplistic, wouldn't it? It's uh, <laughs> it's um, and if you ask my boys, like, what's the purpose of money? They'd say money is just a tool. Yeah, uh, it's a tool to, to give you options, and that's all it's purposeful for. The money itself is intrinsically not anything more important people are what's important um and every person is a book and you know you have to open up the pages to find out what you got uh and so don't judge them by the cover ultimately it was like, like look i just wanted the option of not having to think about money mm. in, in a context of making decisions with my time and so for me success was a drive to see what i could accomplish but what i could accomplish in the sense that i just wanted money to be a non-factor Mm -hmm. so, just so you don't have to think about how am I going to pay the mortgage or how am I going to get a car, get my kids to college or any of that. Yeah, I mean, and I because I had to put myself through school. I was in massive debt. We, wow. You know, so I mean, like, in fact, when my wife and I, who's now my wife, we've been married over, over 25 years, um, we came out of school. The joke was this is like cell phones were just in the 90s, right? And so we literally have you know somebody. We didn't pick up the phone because we couldn't pay every bill. So we always yeah. get our bills, three or four bills, and every third or fourth would get the payment that month. And by the third month, you had ignored the bill. They were like, okay, the collector's coming. I'm like, yeah. oh, it's a payment. Yeah, uh, just in time. And were uh, you a good, good student? Um, yeah, no, actually, I graduated with honors, shockingly, because I, I completely blew off high school. I, it was 520, or no, not five, 626 out of a class of like 635. <laughs> uh, they, they, I think they just wanted me out. They're just like, you know, look, just here's a moment, just leave, don't come back. Mm -hmm. I, and if your parents had had a say in kind of the direction that you would have taken, was it like, what, what would their opinion have been? What, did they value education? Oh, uh, they did. Both of them got their uh, degree. Um, they, they got their degree after. Mm. back and got their degree uh in both cases my father was a marine uh you know very rebellious in his childhood and then eventually went back worked for the post office so we're you know what you call a really lower lower middle class uh family uh if not uh there's such a thing as upper lower class upper yeah uh, no, I get you. Right. on the higher end of the of the poor <laughs> yeah, yeah the higher yeah. end of the poor i mean yeah. we, we most of the time had food mm -hmm. at times we didn't have food Kind of I've interviewed a lot of people on the podcast who are extremely successful who didn't come from money. Mm -hmm. And um, I just find it fascinating to see a kind of how they overcame all these obstacles because it's it's challenging. Right, yeah. And and who inspired them and kind of what they were motivated by. Um, you know, you you have a kind of traditional 
resume almost, like going straight from Kansas, University of Kansas. What did you study in school? I am an English major. Oh, an English major, right? And then going on to consulting, was that right out of school? Yep. And so I took one step uh, in the middle, but ultimately, basically, my real training came in Capgemini, Ernst & Young. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those, like, you know, I've done recruiting for 26 years, so I've looked at resumes and looked at kind of, and, and we're going to get into what Astromu is doing, but like kind of the trajectory of like setting yourself up, and it's a great foundation for- Oh, consulting's awesome. Anything fact, and everything. I'm like, yeah, McKinsey, Capgemini, Bain, just kind of getting that fresh start. What were you consulting in? Uh, technology. Uh, so humorously enough to this day, I don't understand how I got the job. Uh, <laughs> I really don't. I mean, my qualifications are It's like, your charms and good looks. Come on. I, that, that's cleanly. The general manager was like, oh, he, he's tall. So we love tall people. God, who knows? There is actually a bias toward that. You know that, right? The tall I, white man has I, like definitely I, an advantage. I'm going to use them all to my advantage. Buddy. Yeah, do it. <laughs> You're a good person. You deserve it. Uh, well, thank you. I, I, I need all the help I can get. You know, I'm in <laughs> so anything that gives me a little bit of a, an edge. Uh, joking aside, the uh, I don't really don't honestly know how I got into it, but I managed to stumble into uh, consulting. And uh, and like many of us, you don't plan a lot. And so I had an English degree with a minor in German and history. I was accepted into uh, Columbia to do my PhD on English lit, late 19th, early 20th century novels. I was planning on being a professor. Wow. And uh, thank God I didn't do that. Well, uh, <laughs> if you would have enjoyed it, maybe that's your 3.0 or 4.0 path. Yeah, I'd see the, where the reality is, is I'm, I'm much too practical to sit in the halls of academia. I yeah. would make an impact uh, and do something that has consequence and last. Yeah. I'm not saying that, Teaching, actually, my mom was a teacher. Uh, which oh, it's incredible that you have an impact, um, in, specifically in what you're doing right now, to have a one to thousands, if not millions of people versus you're just your classroom, yeah. which may have not as been as fulfilling. So you went on from consulting, and then how did you get into tech? And is that what brought you to Seattle? Yeah. Like, give me that so, whole story. Yeah, so consulting, spent time, kept Jim and Aaron Young, really learned the foundations of tech. So I did a lot of uh, systems integration consulting. Uh, we did a lot of work in transformation, transformational opportunities. Mm. My last project, which cured me from ever wanting to be a consultant for the rest of my life, was Y2K. Um, oh, jeez. I remember everybody thought the world was going to end. I was in Vegas, and we were like looking around for all the lights to go out. <laughs> you, went, you went someplace to celebrate. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, as one who worked on Y2K and thought it was like, oh, this is the uh, biggest non. I mean, the best example I can give is when I had this argument with an executive and, and he's like, look, okay, I'm, we're trying to map this old application. And, and he's like, and I'm like, look, you know, this is the silliness of things that went on. And he's finally like, I'll tell you what, just, just, just do me a favor. Just like, go find the guy who built this thing originally. So we can just get him to explain. And so, and not, this is me, by the way, explain to the exec, because the exec's kind of going back and forth. Okay. And he's just quiet. And I look around the room, like, well, who knows him? And finally somebody pops up. Well, he's been dead for like a decade. And I'm <laughs> like, so this thing's been around that long? And like, yeah, yeah, we, 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 don't, we don't know. I'm like, okay, well, then Y2K, if this thing lasted that long, I'm pretty sure Y2K won't wipe this out either. Oh, geez. And were you, are you a conspiracy theorist? Uh, not on my, uh, not my full-time job. <laughs> but are you a person who tries to find holes in things like, oh, this can't be true? I mean, it's, I know, I'm not on the four, four digits.
digit if you know the tech behind it the main thing yeah. was cheap and there's no conspiracy to it it was just efficient use of short memory well i just wasn't sure at that time how much of it was just like i mean the media hype and all the craziness that comes i mean obviously we didn't even have imagine if we had had social media during that time oh. God, thank goodness. Well, Y2K would have been like, hashtag Y2K, hashtag the end of the world. <laughs> like, yeah, social media, I'm actually finding, you know, between, and it's probably a digression, but it's like, we could do with a lot less social media and the life would be a lot better. Oh, I just, I'm so conflicted by it because sometimes I'm like, oh, this is great. I wouldn't have known this if I hadn't been on today. And then other times I'm like, this is horribly, um, A, dissatisfying and, you know, I try to talk to my kids about it. They they like it. I have no clue, frankly. I'm I mean, we have a limit on their phones, but I'm not watching how much they're yeah. on social media. But I'm just trying to tell my girls specifically, you'd be lucky that you have boys, but like, you know, if I just look at it and I would try to be like, Oh, these people travel and these people, this woman's more successful than me, and oh my gosh, this perfect mom, quote unquote, you know, you just this woman's got like look at her killer body. I I suck, you know, all these messages that subliminally come. Huh. Or I'm not enough politically aware, politically involved, or I don't know. It's just constant, and I agree with you. We, I think it's terrible. I think it creates a lot of anxiety in these poor kids. I'm so happy that we were 70s children. Oh, no, well, yeah. there, because tech was, tech's been bolted onto our life. Yes. I feel like we're in the perfect generation for that. We're like, we, we know what it's like to kick the can in the, in the you know, cul-de-sac, and we know what it's like to play with worms. Well, I've got to... Because you'll get this probably from being with friends. It's like you sit there and you're like, somebody's like, oh, you remember that movie? And everybody's like, and we'll oftentimes stop it. No, nobody gets to pick up their phone. It's got to yeah. be like we used to be, where we literally uh, have to sit there and kind of go back and forth and go, come on, come on, come on, what is it? Oh, that's very disciplined of you. We're not doing that. We're literally like, who's looking it up first? That's uh, smart. I'm going to try to live like that for a little while, like no accessing information. Oh, no, it's better. It's like, hey, Siri, what was the movie with Will Ferrell back <laughs> <laughs> She's probably going to answer right now. That's yeah, so yeah. funny. I do actually have a Siri near me. <laughs> That's my conspiracy so, theory. There's no Siri, by the way. I don't want anybody listening. That's the CIA. There's oh, my yeah. conspiracy theory. I know. I do agree with that, too. We, we were given one. We were given two from, like, um, my husband was given them as, like, gifts. Mm -hmm. And next thing I knew, they are plugged in. And I was like, this is so scary. I don't like this. This is awful. They're definitely listening to us. And then you just get kind of used to it. Hey, Siri, put on blah, blah, blah song. You know, I'm doing the dishes. I need to stop. I agree with you. So, okay. So tell me your transition to tech because you've worked for some incredible companies. Was there a moment in your career that you would say, this was the moment of my biggest kind of personal and professional growth? Yeah, I'd look, I'd say the, so if you think about my, my time, most of trajectory, the Capgemini Ernst & Young was a real foundational learning for tech and really trying to understand, but it kind of put me in the pace. And I went into and spent some time with SBC Datacom, which is the integration group within SBC. But I would say my real foray into West Coast Tech was Akamai Technologies, which is actually humorously enough, a Boston-based, Cambridge-based company. But, you know, I, I did a lot of management and got my hands on a lot of things in oh, 2000, 2004, starting mm. with the fact that in the office I was in went from when I started and it had 175 people by 01, uh, pre 9-11, uh, we were down to two. Oh. Uh, and so, you know, if you survived the blood path, the beautiful thing was in 01, which is you got, you like learned a lot. Like you, why? Because 
you had to do everything. Yeah, you're like, I'm going to just be a ninja here and be a Swiss Army knife and do everything. And so in that scenario, I was doing everything from sales to product management to product leadership to mm-hmm. uh, helping with strategy and even working uh, corp dev, biz dev for, for them all and up and down the West Coast. And so out of that, you know, I went to Amazon and that created more foundation and one more company in the middle and an executive role before I've been, you know, now I'm ruined. I don't know if I could ever work for anybody else again. In fact, uh, well, you won't need to, this will be your, this will be a huge success. It'll be great. (laughs) So what's your, um, of all those things that you mentioned, there's sales, there's biz dev, there's product, there's strategy, and now you're a CEO, which kind of encompasses everything. But what is, if you were to go work for someone else, what's your special sauce? Like what's your, what's, what lane do you belong in? So where I'm really, really shine is taking amorphous constructs um, or strategic ideas and turning them into actionable value. Like um, oftentimes, you know, um, I'll be the guy who ends up putting together for the company the large multi-element deal structure worth hundreds of millions of dollars that has many complex moving parts but and has strategic implications, top-line revenue implications, uh, long-term growth implications. Those are the things that I shine in because I, it's, it's a combination of working with, you know, uh, you know strategy, executives, technology, deep, sometimes very deep, uh, and really putting together in a way that adds value to both sides of the party. Mm-hmm. So I've done like, uh, we did a deal when I was working for um, Limelight Networks, which was a deal that um, we, we put our technology in Bell Canada, mm. that they could OEM and resell component pieces of us and a lot of OEM into certain things they have. That deal was like a $48 million deal that candidly was a reason the company kept hitting their bid targets after the 08, 07, 08 crash uh, and became a template they used in multiple other environments around the world. And so those are things that are fun to me. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's my- amazing. And you went on, you got an MBA like 10 years after college. Was that a necessity or was that something that you're like, hey, there's a downturn in the market, might as well do it right now? Or like what, what inspired so- you to go back and get an MBA? The it's uh, so in clarifications, executive MBA, uh, and so well, an MBA, (laughs) it is an MBA, an executive MBA, okay. But uh, I was able to keep working, and so I didn't. Oh, so you didn't have to take time off, yeah, take time off, and so Amazon paid for it. So Mm. part of it was, um, at that time, in uh, in between, I don't remember what it was, oh, five or six, right in there, I think. Um, I, I was looking to get more traditional executive experience around mm. P&L, cash flow statements, some of the use cases, ways in which to really think about the business long haul. Yeah. And Amazon was like, well, we'll would you it. recommend it? I almost feel like I should do that. I'm, that's a, definitely a gap for me. Um, I, you know, so I have, a, I have mixed views. And so you know, the current company we're building, I think we want to answer that question quantitatively. We want to answer based on verified skills so somebody can say, is it worthwhile or not? And here's the gap and improve. But we'll take that out of the equation for a minute. I actually feel like MBAs have a lot more value earlier in your career than later in your career, in my opinion. Uh, the reason being is that, I mean, like you've run companies, so, you know, and so you learn a lot mm-hmm. that the MBA would bring that otherwise you might have to then go pick up. And so it's easier. And so I, I personally, I, you know, 
when somebody's got enough experience and success like yourself, I kind of like. I, you. you mean now that I'm an old lady, it's too late. <laughs> well, if you're an like, old, how do I say I'm this? just flat out screwed. Okay, let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is like you don't have any gray hair and you've got a baby face. So I always thought you were a lot younger than me, but then I do know that you've been married for a long time and that you've got these kids. So I like <laughs> is the word deduced. I deduced that you <laughs> might be my age. I'm 48. So okay. I think I'm older than you. I'm getting and becoming an old lady. And so uh, we're both we're both old. But I, I turned 50 this year. Ooh, what know. a fun time to turn 50 during a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, everybody did just for me. I was so proud. Yeah, you did the uh, drive-by signs and all of that. Yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, yeah. so 2017 is when you started Astromu. And um, was that a like I have an idea, or did somebody come to you with the idea? How did the whole idea get birthed? Uh, so the birth of the idea, really, so you got to understand two things. One, um, my background is cloud services, big data, what we call big data. And then I was starting to get into a lot of what these, the field of artificial intelligence in my mm -hmm. previous role working with a lot of database companies at Basho. Um, and so that I was seeing trends where open sourcing and machine learning and artificial intelligence was really going to change what we could do. And cloud services made it very easy for a lot of data to be leveraged and accessible. And so, you know, a couple of TevOps technology, et cetera. And so that was something I had in my background. And then when I was wrapping down Basho, um, I took my eldest son back to the University of Kansas and started talking to first deans and the chancellor. And long story short, the if that's possible, I looked at University of Kansas and I said, like, look, and this is my alma mater. So I'm Jayhawk, third generation, true and blue. Uh, but uh, you guys are still doing the same crud that you were using for helping kids understand outcomes that I saw when I was in college. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like, really? Oh, you're like, what's no, an example of that? Because I'm trying to dumb down the conversation, not be a so that I understand it and B so <laughs> that if my kids are listening, which I'm trying to encourage them to listen to business podcasts, um, that they would understand it. So what are some of the kind of antiquated things? And, and how did you what problem did you are you solving? I mean, so the problem, well, antiquated is different from the core of the problem. Yeah, the antiquated are tools like uh, that were made for 60 years ago, like job boards uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, throw use blunt force filters to figure out who to talk to. I mean, there's if you want to level the playing field, if you're really trying to do diversity and inclusion, job boards are like the almost, you know, most difficult way in which to go about it. Mm -hmm. You're almost guaranteed that somebody that started with lack of social capital is not going to be in a position to actually, you know, shine the same way as mm -hmm. someone who's got, you know, all the access and, and capabilities. And so yeah. but at the core of the problem is a much more systemic challenge that there is lack of transparency between education and industry, where neither side can actually, like education cannot say, here's what I'm creating in regards to market valuable skills that have a statistically relevant reason or signal for you and your job and on the flip side companies are going like i want to tell you what i need but i can't actually tell you my job descriptions suck my ability to actually understand really what is driving this outside of some blunt technical skills or that i might be able to call up is pretty basic but mm -hmm. i know it when i see it and so yeah. and what about all the nuance in between well there's so that that nuance is ultimately the subtle soft skills and understanding I mean, the soft skills 
which are the non-perishable are our universal skills. Those, as we all know, are ultimately more valuable because mm-hmm. and if you're good at writing and communicating your point and didactically breaking down a, a conversation to get at the root of what's most valuable, like that only becomes better as you get older mm-hmm. with that skill. Versus if I studied Java in college, but then I don't study it for three years, I might as well not have studied it. I've got to go back start again. It's a perishable skill. Mm-hmm. And so what we're after is simple. We want to use verified skills. Uh, and I don't know if you're getting some feedback loop there. Something was kind of popping. But uh, we want to use verified skills to understand specifically what type of market relevant, or excuse me, not verified content uh, or data from the institution and from the employers to understand what market relevant skills are being created along the educational journey, and then translate those down into the competencies in which you've attained them, so that we can then help the other side understand what competencies are creating. So when we say someone needs Java, great. What, what level of competency are you really looking for? When we say someone needs you know, the ability to communicate, okay, let's, what level of competency are you looking for? Well, I can break that down with machine learning and artificial intelligence and then understand where somebody is most aligned to be successful. Oh, wow. And so what's the exact business model that you came up with as far as, um, you know, in 2017? And has that changed or stayed the same since you founded the company? So if you're going to found a company, there's kind of three things that you're always going to have to go through. You're going to have to go through why, what's my mission? And you're going to have to go through how, well, how am I going to take the steps to map that out and actually accomplish it? And then you're going to have to go to what? What the heck am I selling to someone that fills fills a need and they'll actually push some cash across the table? And so we knew the why. The why was we had a mission that we wanted to level the playing field. We wanted to break everything down into attributes that people could verify and understand exactly where they are in the journey so they can control and be empowered in their future. And if you're going to really like open up opportunity for everyone, mm-hmm. that's what you have to get down to, base level understanding of attributes. And yeah. so um, that was the why. The how was our translation engine. So we understood we were building this engine, this engine that was gonna translate market relevant skills from educational experiences and help people understand exactly predictively where they are as an individual with a learner score or outcome on where they were going, what they can actually do from a pathway to a job role. Mm-hmm. The what was the tricky part because uh, we didn't know. There'd be a challenge. Who's we? we? Well, ultimately, the, the team that I started putting together, I mean, I didn't even know. I had thesis ideas. You knew that there was just, a, I want to test this. I want to go out and do some market research and understand if this is, if I'm the only one who's thinking like this. Well, so the translation engine, like if I tell somebody, hey, look, I can tell you what market relevant skills are going to create predictable outcomes with yeah. a higher probability. Yeah. Well, people go, well, yeah. Well, can you identify that in people? Yeah, you're like, but how are you going to do that exactly? Yeah. And then what, what do you consider success? Well, performance and retention. Then the question is how, to your point. And I'm like, okay, now I've got to decide, well, how do you want to consume that, right? Yeah. Do you want to put that in your ATS? Do you want yeah. to put that in your reskilling, upskilling for your capability academies? Do you want to, if you're an educational institution, do you want to you know, put that into your career services center or yeah. your pedagogy? That was what we had. That Candidly, that has been, uh, building the engine is very, very tough. Because I mean, for example, and we're what's called a school official with the University of Washington. 
um, and with other universities that we work right. with. And what that allows us to do is actually see all the transcript, co-curricular, extracurricular activities that the university has on a student, as well as 10 years of alumni. So all 50,000 students plus 10 years of alumni. And what we do is we give back to the institution those insights on here's the market relevant skills and competencies mm -hmm. level of those skills that those students have, and that's how it's creating outcomes. Now you can take that and understand what type of pedagogy is being used to actually get outcomes, and you can bundle it together, and you can guide quantitatively into predictable outcomes or pathways for your students. And so, you know, how University of Washington decided they wanted to use that. So like, look, we want you to take like a sales search. Here's a use case. Yeah. A, a sales search program, and we're going to give you all the content around that program so that you can understand what we're creating in regards to competency and market-relevant skills. You're going to translate that, and then you're going to show us the type of outcomes and the thresholds for job roles so that we can then communicate and invite employers back in to work with our students on actually breaking that down to base level and say, okay, here's the three students. You don't need to talk to all my students in you know, DocuSign. Here's the three to five students that have the highest probable alignment based on market relevant skills to your role. I'm teeing them up for you with quantitative data. You mm -hmm. talk to them. Now humans do their part. Go figure out if that's the person like you the want. Right, the right attributes, yeah. And, oh, interesting. But, and so is it just for people who are just freshly out of college? Yeah, or, so. Because I know that there's stuff on your website that talks about ongoing learners and mm -hmm. people who are, you know, continuously learning. How does yeah, that so, way of describing it play a role? So there's a, so if you think of it, learning is a never ending process. And so to your MBA example, or to an example of, you know, somebody that's being reskilled or upskilled at a company and a training program. And so the real question you have to ask is what, what is that program creating in regards to capabilities or attributes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then if you can measure that and quantify it, the next question you have to ask is who should I send? Mm. If I'm a, if I'm an employer, who do, who, who, who's the people, or am I just going to assume, well, people that are in this division, they're the ones I should offer it to. How about we quantitatively tell you, here's the people that meet that highest threshold. And guess what? You might find them in some really strange places. Like in you know, customer service center, where some people, we've been able to capture some signal on those people, and they actually have the capability that if you gave them that class, they could be very successful. If That's so interesting. Yeah. Wow. I mean, so I mean, you, you must be learning a ton yourself. And when you started it, um, I know you put together a team. I think it's helpful for others who are starting a company to learn how you looked at that, like, mm -hmm. you know, complementing your own skill set and yeah. filling in the gaps and also how you went about even those first you know few months not everybody has the ability it's you bootstrapped it correct yeah i bootstrapped it um so effectively really started down in the beginning of 17 incorporated it in or late like november december of 16 incorporated in july of 17 mm. uh that's the reason i incorporated that's when we took a million dollars from ignition and john connors mm. Uh, seed money, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and they don't normally back seeds, but John sat on my board of my first company, which sold mm. successfully. And so he's like, yeah, no, this one's good. Because the whole idea is like, if you can translate educational experiences and really give people predictable individual learner outcomes as a score, you can change all of society. Like, yeah. 
How is how is this time, this moment? I mean, even just this morning, I was watching the news. They were talking about college football oh, yeah. um, and the funding of that and how that funds all the other sports. Like, how is this moment shaping in any way? Maybe it's not, but your business with all the universities and colleges being at risk and some of them closing through the pandemic. Well, I mean, so we sell to universities, companies, but we ultimately also serve as a client though we don't charge the learners themselves. Mm. So um, for the universities, it's forced them to rethink and be more serious about understanding what type of outcomes their content is creating. It actually could be helpful for your business because then they're like, maybe we have all this periphery stuff that doesn't actually get the results that we need. Maybe we cut, cut the funding on these things and we double down on these other things. Well, we're, we're making that case. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, I'll go sell it. I'm like, you need to double down. Uh, we're making that case and we're getting some, you know, I mean, some really great universities like ASU University. Yeah. University. Yeah. So yeah. we'll push that agenda, but I think ultimately it will, it will help us. I mean, yeah. And how did, how did you find those first team members? Like, how did you even, is it people you worked with in the past and how did you vet them? Um, this is an overall recruiting question around how you... <laughs> how you go about it when you've been a, an exec for many years and you've had success. What's your theory around recruiting and vetting specifically for startup mentality? Well, I mean, so there's the, for the startup mentality, if you ask the VCs, they prefer founders or not sole founders. They always yeah. give them two, two or three or better. Two right. um, I would say when you're doing your first company, it's, it's nice to have somebody shoulder out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or at least say, please tell me I'm not insane. Besides your wife. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, or your husband. Pick a spouse of choice. Yeah. Um, but if you had some executive experience, you usually have a bunch of people you can work with. And so first person, I, I was using a contractor, a friend of mine, Oleg, who really kind of helped some of them. And then ultimately a, a series of other data scientists that, that I've known. Ultimately, Kai Patterson uh, it became our CTO about a year and a half ago. Kai is incredible. He was our client at his last company. He's he's the real deal. That guy's so smart. He is uh, wicked smart. And Kai and I, Kai was my Kai and I became good friends when he was my client over ten years ago. Oh, wow! And, and after that experience, for years we've been saying one of these days we're going to work together. Like it's just inevitable. Like we think that's so cool. Tackle. And so uh, he was coming off his other gig and the window opened up and so it worked out great. And so you look for people like that. Like my chief yeah. revenue uh, officer is, he's worked for me three other times. Yeah. Um, well, I saw that you have a nice diverse population as far as the overall company mm -hmm. goes. Um, are you thinking about bringing in more women in the executive level? Um, head of data scientist is a female. I love that. So, I mean, that, that she might be the most important person we've got. Don't say that too loud. She'll get recruited. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. She loves it. <laughs> She's so happy. She's unrecruitable. Yeah, Nobody's allowed to take her. Exactly. Unrecruitable. And how does the business work as it relates to um, targeting, well, if anything, like veterans? It's so actually, it's funny you bring that up because the veteran side is, is my whole family is everybody's been in the military but me. And so this is kind of a passion point where I've watched veterans come out or you know, active military come out as veterans and they're so not, their value, their skills are just not valued by society. Well, I'm learning about this right now. So I'm actually really, I want you to help me think through this because I want to do whatever I can to help vets. 
I mean, it's, 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 it's just difficult. If you think from an employer's perspective, they don't know how to, I mean, if somebody says like, look, that's great. You drove an M1 Abrams tank and you managed managed a team that did that, but you know, they forget that that's a $60 million piece of equipment and that it's incredible logistical experience. It's incredible leadership experience in running the tank team, et cetera, but they don't know how to value that. I mean, they can't translate that into a job. In the that's pipe. that's sad to me because I, I see it as like that's that would be probably my best the the work ethic, the discipline, the follow through, the commitment, the grit. I mean, there's all, all these like kind of soft skills, but those are the most as we started talking about earlier. Those are so valued. I just need to figure out a way, and I, I'm trying to learn this right now, kind of um, doubling down on this, but like how you access them and how you can quantify what exactly they did. If you don't have a military background yourself, like I don't, I don't know where the different departments are, how to, what they actually did. It's hard for me to vet, no pun intended, but no, it's hard for me to assess. (laughs) I would say that, you know, from our perspective, how how we're tackling that is that we see a lot of veterans and like we have 21 million learners in our system, right? Wow. we're, We're pulling from. And so, We've got a lot of veterans in there, so we can see some of the, how their experiences have played out longitudinally, because we look longitudinally at data from education into industry, regardless of stage of life. But ultimately, the best way to do it is, is we're in discussions right now with the Army for a very large strategic contract to do a translation engine as a service. To me, it will be the quickest way. And, and part of our pitch to the Army, candidly, is like, look, we can help you not only understand how these veterans bring their a skills, competency at different stages within their path within the Army, but then we can help the, the soldier for life is what they call it, help mm-hmm. those soldiers understand what job roles that translates into mm-hmm. in the private sector when they leave. Well, that's interesting because I would think that that would be an incredible recruiting tool for them, for the Army, because it's like they're not just selling, hey, I might be able to help you pay for college or might be able to get you kind of some whatever it is that you're looking for, a structure, right. time away, discipline, whatever it is, travel. But actually, this is not a two to five year thing. This is like kind of a lifetime oh. thing. That's really cool. I love that. And considering how much money they invest in education. Yeah. In the military, I mean, geez, it's, it's like I have a friend who's a vet who has over 200 credit hours and no degree. Mm. I mean, he's got his associate degree, but no BA mm. because... The credits that he got transferred, they said, okay, we'll give you credits for that at the school, like University of Maryland, where he went back mm. to. But he's like, we're not going to actually give that, like, I don't care that you had this advanced bio uh, class. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, can't accept that in mind. So it's just general credits. Mm-hmm. So you only need 120 credits to graduate with a degree. So he's got like, you know, another degree. He's got two degrees in his credits, but yeah. it's, it's a really common problem with that. That's super fascinating. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, uh, some of the people that listen to this may not have heard of the company before and hopefully are now intrigued. What's your, um, what's your kind of pitch when you're trying to get people to join the company? Was like, the- like, why would they choose you? Why would an engineer come to you over everybody else, <laughs> like Google and Facebook and Amazon is taking everybody with paying them all sorts of money? Well, so the good news is, is all of my engineers could easily have turned down jobs with Google. Yeah, you've got an incredibly uh, impressive team. We, we've got a lot of PhDs, a lot of masters in the data scientist side. We've got a lot of really experienced mm-hmm. engineers, uh, you know, full stack engineers. Uh, mm-hmm. And 
the pitch is simple. It's like, look, you, those companies always are there for you. Um, you know, but the reality is you're going to be doing one thing like ad serving lift or something come here. And what we'll bring to you is we'll give you the chance to do something that's never been done before. break down the barrier between education and industry, working with data that no one has ever looked at truly verified data end to end. You can have a chance to, to do that and engage in that and literally change the way in which education and industry work together going forward, which mm-hmm. has massive ramifications on society and leveling of society and creating opportunity. I don't know, you know, might be kind of fun. Super fun. And what about the actual culture and kind of perks and like um, what it feels like to be a member of the team? So we, I wrote my culture rules for the company before the company was formed. Good for you. Third time I've done it, I knew culture is everything. So we we pay attention to, you know, things like, you know, employee first. We pay attention to, you know, we stole one from Amazon by its production. You know, yeah. it's, uh, that's a good one though. We are, we say we get shit done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, by same track. thing. GSD. Yeah. yeah it sounds, but, uh, you know, so for us, it's like the goal is to create an environment, a trusted environment in which an individual feels confident enough to be able to ask a question and make a challenge. As long as of course it's respectful, everything's open. And so I tell the team, you know, like my, I'm willing to be completely transparent. If there's something I can't share, I'll tell you I can't share that. I mean, you'll have that complete transparency, but I need people to be willing to not, like I tell people, it's, I take a quote from George Patton. I said, George Patton said, look, I don't tell people how to do something. I tell people what I need accomplished. And then I let them surprise and delight me on how they will actually accomplish it. And because of that, people will always come up with a better idea, a better way than I might be able to do myself. That's, they, they have the expertise there. And so I want to enable people, because if we enable people to learn and grow, mm-hmm. then I get my force multiplier. Where oh, my for sure. Of like just under 40 can accomplish what a team of 400 can accomplish. Because it's not about numbers. You know I'm not good at math, but that's a serious multiplier. <laughs> <laughs> legitimate i mean like why, why no you're right it's a great way of looking at it it really is it's, it's super super smart and so what do you do for efficiency and tools and communication i know you guys are kind of in and out of the office some are at home mm-hmm. are there tools or like little hacks you can give me on how yeah, to be more productive think, right now I, I will tell you that you you know over communication is one of our cultural values because mm. you can never ever 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 say things enough so I do, uh, one thing I do every Sunday night is I send out almost every Sunday my weekly thoughts. And so it's on either our strategy, on a product component. Sometimes it's just on, you know, here's some things like I was explaining, because we have a lot of people who have never done startups. I had a whole thing where I grabbed some articles on product market fit. I said, mm-hmm. look, product market fit's a messy process. Right. You don't know or understand this, but actually that's the process. It yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. And educating them on, on how these type of things. So I use that to communicate, but often the tools, you know, outside of email, it's, it's Slack. Slack. Yeah. A lot uh, of Slack. A lot of Slack. I mean, we, we're agile shop. We put everything, we've got everything in sprint. So for all the engineers, whether it's the DevOps engineers, data scientists engineers, or the tr- full stack engineers, they're all, everything's, you know, in there. We've got, mm-hmm. we're tracking story points. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we, we use, you know, simple tools uh, like Asana for some task masking for some individuals in certain roles. But I would say, you know, 
I don't think there's anything. No, no hacks. I'm always looking for things. So how do you, when you're not working, uh, how do you relax these days? I know that there's a lot of focus on um, mental health and just kind of where people are and finding ways to access fun. Um, what do you like to do when you're trying to chill out? Uh, when I chill out, uh, hang out with friends uh, or family and uh, smoke a cigar and uh, drink some wine mm -hmm. uh, are big things. Uh, love to travel normally, though that's been a little bit, uh, though we are going to Cannon Beach this weekend. Uh, oh, yeah, that's a great spot. Yeah, just hang out for three, four days, a little mm -hmm. bougie, you know, uh, hotel. But yeah. uh you know, the overall it's travel is really a thing, but travel, was, yeah. And do you have any sort of, um, I guess you talked about your Sunday night kind of um, thoughts, but do you have any rituals or a spiritual practice or anything that you um, do to set yourself up for a successful day or a successful week? Well, I in have, general, you know, from a, just a, from a practice perspective, so I use uh, Evernote and Asana. Mm. Evernote to capture my notes, Asana to run my tasks. Um, and so um, what I'll do every day is I've got my uh, quarterly and annual goals, uh, kind of with my inspirational thoughts and things of that nature, which I try to read every morning before the day starts off. Then I have, I organize my day, my morning routine in Asana, and those are against my priorities. And Wow, uh, good for you. I wouldn't say I'm doing it like, Maybe instead of being instead of being like an English lit professor, you could do like a little thing and and teach us. I, that's these are good things. This is like honestly, selfishly, why I love doing this podcast. I'm learning from people who are so smart. Just, I mean, I don't know that I'll suddenly be that person that's doing these things, but I like to. I like to. I like to get inspired. And um, I, I, my question, I mean, I know that you were talking about money not being the driver, but that you wanted it as a tool to kind of. Um, not have to think about money, basically. Right. And so money probably isn't your way of defining success, I'm guessing. Um, how do you define success? And do you feel successful? Um, you know, like, look, I've got to have a good self-image. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you've got to be able yeah. to take it. So say, I'll tell you, I'm, I feel successful. Mm -hmm. But will I say that, uh, and I, I like to define that one because it's a, a tough one because I like to define it in the context of, I tell this to my boys, Every person you meet is better than you at something. Mm -hmm. Some people you just might have to hard, have a lot harder look to find out what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's just a way to remember, you know, it's like everybody brings strengths to the table. I mean, we were talking earlier, and this is a digression, pray for me for your question a bit, but like that, that conversation of your, your girls comparing themselves to beautiful model or, or some other perfect person mm. and you know you have to remind people like look you're looking at their best against your worst so there's no <laughs> other way to describe airbrushed as well yeah. and airbrushed Air, and airbrushed yeah their best amplified fake yeah against your worst yeah, yeah, not yeah, yeah. About they got shitty days yeah. and look crap right we all do uh, and so do you feel successful now like defined by what how you've defined it for us like um well, I guess we haven't defined it really. Yeah, so my, yeah, I really haven't defined it. I mean, my, my definition of success is so like at the end of the day, my, my foundation is is my, you know, religious foundation, my relationship to Laura, a couple up with my family. Those things drive my importance. I don't need to flash them or anything in my life. It's just, it's at the core of who I am. But uh, I, so if I can keep those in, in context, remember that friends and people are most important. 
you know, then the rest of it's just tools and have some fun. I do like to set goals to accomplishment. Like, like we have a goal to have some pretty significant impact with this company on society. We think we can literally change the game. We're not, you know, well, we can do something that's never been done before and use these understandings of competencies around market relevant skills and, and give predictable individual learners an outcome score. And yeah. so that drives me. Like, you yeah. know, see, well, like, you're going to do it. You, I mean, I read you raised over $13 million. You have runway, you've got some space to do it. You've got the killer team, you've got the drive and the goals. You, you're lined up. You've got the vet thing going. Well, you know, it's funny when I started a company, I used to joke, and I'm sure this is not how you give your recruiting pitch when you're like trying to convince people to go to company. Um, I used to joke, I said, like, look, I can tell you one or two things are going to happen with this company. We're either going to be wildly successful and change everything, or we're going to be the biggest crash against the wall you've ever seen. But you'll have fun and learn a lot of doing it, right? Yeah. yeah. And so my wife, in fairness, finally coached me. She's like, after we, we, uh, raised about, because we raised over 5 million, like 5.6 million in, in seed before we did the Series A. And she's like, you know, at a certain point, Adam, I think you should stop giving that speech. You're actually not. You know, <laughs> I think it's a great way. It's like, it's like a soft sell. It's like a takeaway. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like, I, you know, look, you know the odds. The stats say. Yeah, the odds are 10, yeah. You know, one in 10 at best. One in and 10. I'm like, you have a 10% chance of being successful or being in business yeah. still in three years from now. Yeah, well, that's not even success, right? It's just being in business. Yeah, you're just like, you're still going. <laughs> we're not profitable, but we're still here. Yeah, we're, we're, we're still going three years later. So boom. Yeah. Well, you're taking on a big challenge and it's not realistic to think like, oh, you're suddenly just going to crush it. You're going to have constant, you know, challenges and obstacles, but it sounds like the way that you're thinking about it and the way that you're open to um, encouraging your team members to contribute so much, you're going to get the best out of everybody. So I'm big time rooting for you. Like you're one of my favorites. So I'm, I'm sending you. you all sorts of good juju. Um, I, my I ultimate question I always ask is what fuels you? Um, what fuels me is setting goals and beating goals. I, I always, uh, my day to day, I don't have the ability to, I mean, like the concept of retirement is not something I understand. Uh, it just seems like who the hell would retire? That sounds so boring. Yeah. Uh, I need to have something to drive towards. Now, maybe like I have goals that let's say, you know, we it could be like your Peloton, like best, best, whatever. It's funny you say that. I actually hit my personal best on my Peloton yesterday. Good job. Uh, the funniest part is I was like, what was I doing that morning? I don't, I, I'm like, I'm already 10 minutes in and I'm like 30, whatever behind. I don't know why, how I got so motivated that one day, but I haven't been able to catch up. Like That's all right. I'm getting I, worse on the Peloton. It's funny you say that because today I had a really shitty score. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay. So it fuels you to set goals and reach them. Well, then I'm definitely uh, betting on the winning horse. I wish I was one of the early investors. I messed that one up. No, I didn't okay. have the opportunity. Is it too late? <laughs> it might be. It's <laughs> it might be too late. I'm an institutional investor range now. Oh, man. But, uh, All right. Well, so good to see you. Thank you Definitely. so much for joining. Thank and you. I hope I get to see you soon. Say hi to Kai and the whole uh, the whole team. I will pass it on and uh, appreciate it. And stay, stay safe. Stay safe. And until we can have a glass of wine together. I can't wait. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com. 
to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.